Let's pray. God of grace and mercy, give us courage, give us eyes to see. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. The good news of this gospel and our, our Old Testament reading is that God keeps his promises and he provides for us even in our wilderness places. You know, the most astonishing thing is that we hear in Abraham and Sarah and Hagar's story is that God intends to bless families and nations in old age. Do you know Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born? Can you imagine? Sarah was 90. Are you ready to be running around some tykes? No. But it's just how God uses us in his time, not ours. The astonishing thing is that our human imperfection and even our sin cannot derail God's love and purposes. Right? Oh, good. I hope that you will see how God's undeterred and even divinely stubborn and certainly patient uh, presence with Sarah, he makes his plan happen. In spite of Sarah and her abuse and jealousy of Hagar, you see, by this time in the Genesis and their story, Sarah and Hagar have been at it. Sarah has flip-flopped several times, first asking Hagar to give birth to be her surrogate uh, mom, to give birth for her since God had not used her own womb to birth a child for Abraham. And then, you may not know, but Sarah beat Hagar for her contempt after she had birthed Ishmael. Hagar ran away, and at that time, an angel of the Lord appeared to her and told her to go back and submit to Sarah, for he had plans for this child, plans to birth a nation through him. And so Hagar went back, courageous. And then Isaac's been born, And Sarah sees Ishmael with her son Isaac, and fear and jealousy takes over. Fear that somehow he won't be the heir that he's supposed to be. And so she tells Abraham to send Hagar and that child, Ishmael, out into the desert. Get them out of my sight. Not really Sarah's finest moments, would you say? But God had made a covenant with Abraham that he would birth nations through his offspring, and he promised to bring them to a land not their own, but that they would eventually inhabit and be blessed. God means to bless his people and the world. So Hagar, here she's been obedient, and she's now sent out into the wilderness to face not only her own death, but that of her own son. 
Now Abraham did what he could. He sent them with supplies. But they've come to the end of them. There is no more water. And Hagar places the child under a bush and she can't bear it. What mother could bear watching their own child die? And so she goes a distance, they say about a bow's distance, bow shot distance away, to face the inevitable. Here we see where this mother has given in to despair. She can't see beyond the obvious peril of the circumstances. She can't see beyond her immediate situation. She, I would say, has come to the very end of herself and is there sobbing. And once again, an angel of the Lord appears to her and tells her to fear not. For God will make a great nation out of this son. And here is the most stunning thing, is that he opens her eyes to see what was already there, a well. Not just another flask of water, but a well. A well with an unlimited supply of sustenance. God is with her provides for her and her son. God keeps his promises. In our human condition, it seems our own will can thwart God's plans. We see his loving kindness in providing for Hagar and Ishmael in the desert. Sarah's jealousy and unkind action doesn't thwart what God has promised Abraham that you will be a father of many nations. And it turns out that God's plans don't stand on our perfection, but on God's goodness and grace. Thank goodness. I wonder, when have you possibly found yourself in a desert situation? Maybe at the end of your provision, possibly at the end of all that you could do maybe for a child, and there you are, crying out. Did you surrender your life at that point? Can you trust God will provide? Can you trust that God will be our strength in the midst of our weakness and lack? In answer to God's covenant, he provides a well for Hagar and Ishmael. For you and I, he went a step further, fulfilling the covenant and taking that ultimate step of giving his son Jesus Christ to us that we might be restored and reconnected to God's love in full. When we accept this provision, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're born into a new family in which Christ is our head. Today's gospel reminds us that what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we've got to give up our life in order to find it, that we must surrender. He warned that we may lose family connections after choosing to follow the one 
who has power to give us eternal life. But far better to lose family connections than to lose life eternal. I think that it's hard for us to understand in our cultural context what's happening here. It might be easier to go over to the Middle East and look at what new believers today are facing. I think it's more similar to what was happening in Matthew's day. I happen to know of two young women who are sisters who have just in this last year come to know and believe in Jesus Christ as their savior through some friends of mine that are disciples there proclaiming the word and the love of God to anyone who will listen. They do it through friendship first. Well, these girls, it turns out, their family is Muslim, as are many in the region. And the father is so upset with their choice and how it has brought shame on their household that he has threatened to kill them if they do not recant their belief in Jesus Christ. These friends are part of a prayer network and so they've asked for prayers for these girls that the family, their hearts be softened towards Jesus, towards these girls. And at best, they'll be cast out of the family system like Hagar and Ishmael to fend for themselves. And in this way, that early Christian community truly becomes their new family for the very survival of their lives. I think it underscores the reality of God's fidelity to those who give up their life to follow him and acknowledge him and he will acknowledge you. These are the training words for what it is to be a disciple and live by faith, not fear. My hope is, is that you can see God's loving kindness and provision for Hagar and Ishmael is the same for us in our own desert places. My prayer is, is that God will give us eyes to see the well of provision before us, that he loves us and he invites us to share this good news of love, his love for others in our city and beyond. That's what these silly little hope signs have been about. They're about sharing the message of God's love. On the back of each one of them, it says, God loves you, and so do we. And do you know that there are people out there in our very city that do not know that simple truth? As Beth and I discovered at the Juvenile Justice Center last spring. My hope is that you will pray with me that those who need to know that God loves them, starting that simple, God loves you, that they'll see our float that's going to have a massive sign that says God loves you, hope for a future, that we'll be 
going along on 4th of July to get that good news out. It won't be shouting from the rooftop so much as from a float, but what good news, what better news do we have to share than that in its simplest form? God loves you and has hope for life in Jesus Christ. This is our treasure that the world so desperately needs to hear. May we be bold in doing so, whether it's by word or by example or by putting a hope sign in a pot at Gringo's, which one of our members did. Let us be bold sharing this great news. Amen. Turning to page 7 in your bulletin, let us stand and declare our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. 